Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. I am your host, my name is Matthew, and joining me today is Simon, which I'm not even going to dress it up, it's just the normal thing we do. He's, he's the co-host, so say hi, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, just for nice surprise, it's me again after all these years, who'd have thought? Yeah. Um, I'm fine, I'm a little tired. We, um, we made the decision to stay up till 2 in the morning to watch Ocean's 13 last night. I love that film. I really, really love that film. And I love Steven Soderbergh. And the end of that film makes me really, really happy. And uh, that's why we stayed up to 2 a.m. to watch it. Because... Did you watch Ocean's 11 and 12 first? Or did you just watch so the Victory Lap one? My... So, no, it, we just turned on cable. And it would, it was like a, a little way through 13. And we both loved that movie. So then we just watched it to the end. Uh, with all the commercial breaks extending our bedtime by another hour but uh, we've watched all of the oceans movies multiple times with the kids they my kids love the oceans movies it's some of their favorite films um they uh they are absolutely even 12 they like but uh, what's because 12 is great uh 12 is great no no 12 is not great Matt. the one where they go to italy is great the one where they completely subvert all the audience's expectations from the get-go, yeah, it's great. The one that's literally the one that's the film critic big words on me. The one that's literally a, a sequel about how difficult it is to make a sequel. <laughs> so like to read say... how difficult it is to recapture the magic of a great performance like that. Wow. It's a, it's a great film. Wow. It was well, a lot more, personally a lot more agree. than 11 or 13, but it is okay. still a great film. You just let me know when you're finished and I'll carry on. Um, <laughs> it's a, 13's a far more successful heist movie, but it is an absolute mirror image of 11. I grant you that. There's no subversion there at all. But no, it, it's, a, it it's also, a victory lap. It, it also doesn't have Julia Roberts pretending to be Julia Roberts, and I, I'm, I'm conflicted how I feel about that. But the um, it does have the, the hotel... Um, the guy deciding whether Al Pacino is going to get his stars just go through the worst night of his life, and mm-hmm. then at the end he wins eleven million dollars in the slot machine. And I just really it makes me really happy. And um, Soderbergh's just brilliant. What he I just love what he does with framing and shots and editing and and line delivery and it's just great. What a great series of films. And even Ocean's Eight, which is not a Soderbergh director movie, although it's his director of photography or something isn't it it's one of his guys um is a that's really a great film. film i really so, enjoy yeah. ocean's eight yeah i really in fact nice. i in i i really enjoy ocean's eight and i i love that um uh wow sandra bullock and kate blanchett have the same sort of dynamic as clooney and pitt mm-hmm. do and yeah. i would say that i wish i could pull off any single one of the outfits that kate blanchett wears in that movie <laughs> oh my god yeah, did they win an Oscar for costume? I mean, they should. They should have. They should have. I don't um, think they did, but they should have. Those um, are they're really, really great films. I haven't seen the Brat Pack original Ocean's Eleven. Have you? Of course, you have. Course I, you know, I, I, I've seen it a long time ago, and my my memory of it is that it's not as good. Um, mm-hmm. In that, my memory of the original is kind of like you sit down, you turn it on, you go, "Wow, look at all these amazing, famous." <laughs> like it just like it, it it very much felt like um and maybe i'm wrong it's been a long time but my memory is that i found it quite kind of boring and like a film made a film made specifically to have those people in it you know what i mean like so yeah yeah, yeah. um and so like i think it was ripe for a remake when they remade it and mm-hmm. uh i think the, and the new ones are better but mm-hmm. uh to be fair though uh i have not seen the original since i was in my early twenties, maybe. So, um, my memory is probably pretty colored at this point. You'll probably buy it on like limited edition Blu-ray tin from Shout Factory or something. That'll be your next criterion import. (laughs) I haven't seen this. I'll I'll buy it. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like I, I'm far more likely to buy like a box set of the new ones. Um, but I am, I am pretty upset that we haven't had an oceans nine yet. I do. I would like I would like more of this series, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they're good movies and they're they're fun, and I I also very much like um, Soderbergh. I think he's done he's done some of my favorite movies. I would say he's uh, he's excellent. And 
even I would say honestly, he's actually done some of my favorite television as well. Like I don't know if you've ever watched The Nick, but The Nick is excellent. And, uh, <laughs> the number of times you've tried to sell me on The Nick, and I tried watching it and it didn't land. But that was a long time ago. Maybe I should retry. Uh, you definitely should. Because I want to watch his his basketball movie that he shot on iPhone. With that's a good um, movie, Flying Bird. That's a good movie. Yeah, I want to see that. And he also did a, a new, a new, like a mystery series out on Prime that had no fanfare, just got released. Yes, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's out on. It came up when I was watching movie stuff at Tribeca, and I have not had a chance really to catch happy. up with it. I'm really happy that he's so prolific, and he's really happy just to make stuff with like whatever he's got lying around. Basically, yeah. like he's got so many stories to tell, and his just his framing and his editing and his lighting, just beautiful. And uh, I really enjoy how he is quite. I'm not sure "experimental" is the right word, but he just uh, he does a lot. But it seems to be whatever he's got in his mind that he wants to tell. He doesn't. He doesn't see. He doesn't seem to do these like big full productions all the time. He does like lots of little things. So I really appreciate that. I mean, he's definitely experimental. He's like. Um... He's made at least seven, he's made a couple of movies now, just using iPhones and mm. using weird, like sort of not filmmaking, like anti patterns. He's he's a really interesting guy. Mm. He also often acts. If you look at the credits for his movies, um, he he often acts as his own editor and cinematographer as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's often doing all three things, um, and he uses. Uh, different names for uh what are they uh i could like a month ago i could have just told you this off the top of my head but my memory is 40 years old now um but basically uh he when he makes a film if you look at the credits you can see a couple of names in particular and those names are just him and it's almost always Mm -hmm. cinematographer and editor as well um and he uses specific names for those specific credits uh, and uh, it happens a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, where is it? Sorry, I go go on. No, talk, I, talk, um, talk more. I there's too much Soderbergh I haven't seen for someone who I love so much. I've seen a, a lot of his films, but I I would like. <laughs> time i would just like time to uh watch a lot of things but especially all the little projects that he's done um even if i don't like the film completely like i don't think out of uh, what's that Clooney lopez movie out of out of sight is my favorite of his films out of sight is that your favorite so it, it perfectly encapsulates my feelings for Soderbergh is that I'm not sure that film necessarily lands for me the same it does for you, but it is so sumptuous to look at. And it is so, uh, he's so good at capturing uh, chemistry between actors and not just like sexual chemistry, unless you want to say like uh, that the two leads in Ocean's Eleven, like Clooney and Pitt definitely have something going on. That, that wonderful scene where he comes in and they're watching Oprah give away uh, like beds to everyone it's just wonderful yeah. and um he's so that good is, at chemistry that okay. movie is also just like legitimately one of the sexiest movies maybe ever made mm-hmm. um yeah so when he's when he acts as his own cinematographer he's credited under the name peter andrews which is his father's name and when he is credited for editing his credit under the name marianne bernard which is his mother's name oh yeah that's nice. I like, like it's that. his mother's maiden name and his father's like middle two names or something like that. But it's his mm-hmm. it's his mother and his father. So when you watch uh, when you watch a Soderbergh movie or any movie that he might be involved in, and you see those two names, that's him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's great. And like, um, it's like how uh, I think one of the Magic Mikes is uh, directed by someone else, but it's actually he's still the cinematographer. I just love that he's like involved at many different levels as well. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, mm-hmm. he's a great and prolific. He's also super interesting. If you can go find any of his, he's given speeches at film festivals and such about like the art and business of filmmaking, and they're always super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go on his website, he's done things like uh, he did like a uh, a black and white re edit of Raiders of the Lost Ark, 
which is oh, really interesting to watch. Yeah, I downloaded it when it was still online before it got taken yeah. down. It's, lovely. it's really good. And it's set with, it's like black and white, and it uses the score from the social network, I think. Super interesting. Um, and he just does <laughs> stuff like that. Oh my god, social network, of course. Yeah, that's that's what the music is. I was trying to place it. No, he's great. Okay. Uh yeah, so he's great. He's a great filmmaker, and I love the stuff he does. And I and I haven't see I haven't seen Full Circle is the name of that show we're talking about, and uh, oh, I, have yeah, not, yeah. I have not seen it yet. Uh, I also interestingly haven't seen um uh what was it called No Sudden Move, which is the that period shot I think heist movie uh that was released during the middle of the pandemic. Uh, that has you know, like. Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro and a bunch of other people in it. Oh, I haven't seen that. Do you know what's a really interesting movie? Is that action movie with um, the Rhoda, Rhoda Ramsey? Oh, what's her name? Ronda Rousey? Uh, the, the wrestler, the female wrestler who was in Mandalorian. He did a, an action movie with her. And he had to... He had oh, to you're talking dub. about Gina, Gina Carano? Oh, am I... Who's Rhoda Rousey then? <laughs> she's, a, she's a different UFC fighter. Oh, okay. Haywire. Haywire. Yeah. So that's that's not a good film, and it's really interesting to see. Uh, he he made a big swing. I do like how he makes big casting swings as well. Like I think the girlfriend experience is a really good example of him getting that right, and Haywire is mm-hmm. a great exper- uh, example of maybe him getting that wrong because uh, you have to redub her because she she didn't say anything correctly, um, and she's also a terrible person, but. It's still, even it's a terrible. It's not a good movie. It's still so interesting to watch because of his everything he brings to it. I would even go so far as to say that, like, charisma void of a of a central performance, notwithstanding, it's actually a very well constructed film. Like, it's not, it's not bad. It's just not good. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, no, it's got too many like strikes against it to be quote like great or even maybe even like good. but it's so it's, it's so good. it's so technically good yeah it's i mean still, uh, exactly. still an interesting watch yeah yeah that's my point i mean that's what makes him such an interesting director even if the movie doesn't work as well as his others it's still sumptuous yeah but then he also just does interesting things like did you know he was second unit director on the hunger games <laughs> no what yeah like there's a what? riot there's a riot scene in the hunger games and he directed that because it was a second unit thing like he, what's he, what what? <laughs> but yeah. he was, he was established by that point. Yep. Like yep. So he just did it for funsies. I guess he did. He was a second unit director in August 2011 on the Hunger Games, and then in September October he shot Magic Mike, <laughs> the same year. <laughs> oh, Magic Mike! Now that is a good movie, especially the second one. What a film yeah. that is. I well, the, seen the, one the second one is the one he was cinematographer but not director for, which is just oh, interesting. Really? Yeah, interesting. Uh, it's it's a it's a whole thing. But like the director of the second one, um, Greg Jacobs, Gregory Jacobs, I'm pretty sure is like his boy, like one of his mm-hmm. uh, like ongoing uh, collaborative partners, basically. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think he was. A producer or something on Magic Mike? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a producer on... Um, let's see here. Greg Jacobs was a producer on... Holy shit, like all of them. Yeah, basically everything. So, mm-hmm. Out of Sight, The Limey, Aaron Brockovich, Price of... No, not him. Traffic, Ocean's Eleven, Solaris, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen, Che, The Girlfriend Experience, Informant, Contagion, Haywire, Magic Mike, Side Effects, Magic Mike XL was the first one he directed. <laughs> like, Bloody so he just he's been working with Soderbergh for a while. Oh, Interestingly, that's ama- amazing he was film. also also producer on Edge of Tomorrow, which is uh, a great film. Huh. So, and after Magic Mike XSL, he also was a producer on Logan Lucky and The Laundromat. So he's been working with Soderbergh uh, for a while. I haven't seen Logan Lucky, and I know you love that film. I should definitely try and get on that. I have not seen the laundromat, and I've heard very mixed things. But Logan Lucky is excellent, and mm-hmm. you should you should one hundred percent watch it. If you and especially mm-hmm. actually, if you like the Ocean's movies, you should one hundred percent watch Logan Lucky. It is so good. Is and it was also friendly? and also the uh, uh, we all love um, 
Daniel Craig as as the uh, Benoit Blanc now playing like mm-hmm. really big and sort of against type uh, mm-hmm. from his James Bond days in in now. Uh, but Logan Lucky was the first film where he did that, and it's amazing. And he plays like a career a career criminal and explosives expert called Joe Bang, and he's so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's on the list. And like, I think your kids will like it. In and I swear to I'm I'm going to apologize in advance because at least one of your children every day will like during like making dinner or something will hold up a bag and be like, "This is science." <laughs> <laughs> and when you get the context of that it'll be even funnier <laughs> right. so it's a it's a child friendly movie it's as child friendly as any of the oceans films are oh, so, okay oh perfect yeah. okay it's we'll ba- it's basically oceans 11 but like in the south like in the deep south hick oceans 11 <laughs> something something like that and i, I don't want to spoil it for you but like it uses that conceit. As, uh, it's so good. And then there's a scene where like an 11 year old sings a John Denver song that'll make you like tear up. It's so good. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, sold. Yeah. I'm in. Good. Well, <clears throat> now, okay. that we've, now that we've bantered suitably about Steven Soderbergh, uh, uh, shall we move yes. on to the main show? So before we do, yes, let's do. just get some, some housekeeping out of the way. Uh, first and foremost, uh, if you like the show, if you're listening to the show, we do have a Patreon, and you can find that at patreon.com slash mcsimpson. Uh, and it costs less than, you know, uh, it's two bucks a month is the entry-level tier, and you get a bonus conversation as well. Uh, this week we talked at, at length about the strikes, uh, and also about purchasing movies for home. Um, I think those conversations are super interesting, and they're super cheap to buy into, so... Please do that and help us keep the lights on. Also, uh, to help us keep the lights on, if you go to the homepage for this episode, which will be awesomefriday.ca slash whatever it's going to be, it'll be in the show notes. Um, There are links to go to where you can stream the things we're talking about. And if you use those links, they also help us keep the lights on. So please do that. That'd be great. Uh, and then last but not least, obviously this episode is produced during the ongoing Writers Guild of America and Screen Actors Guild strikes. Um, and none of the stuff, none of the things we're going to be talking about, a, a movie and a show, neither of them will be possible without the love, care, and attention of and labor of the... You are laughing at me and I don't know why, but without the... I'm not, love, I'm not laughing at you at all. Yeah, without the uh, without the care, attention, labor of the people who made them, and uh, we obviously support the unions and hope that they get everything they are asking for because they've been being boned over for the last like fifteen years. So, um, <clears throat> just know that that is true. Sorry, I I chose the absolutely wrong moment to look at a Star Wars meme, which I have now sent you. So yeah, it was completely inappropriate. <laughs> Not laughing. We're not laughing at the wow at the strikes. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's a thing for sure. I am not going to uh, share that with the crowd. No. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anyway, anyway, but yes, uh, we're in solidarity. Uh, we feel for them absolutely. Yeah, well, we we lit- I legitimately hope that they get everything. I hope they stay on strike as long as it takes to get everything they're asking for. Yes. And when just re- another reminder that when you see things like variety with a headline saying that the studios have come back with their best and final offer. Um, that's a, that's not how that works. Yeah. Um, like, uh, it's not like they can just, the studios can just like dictate we're going back to work now. Um, but also the variety in particular, and most of the major trades are owned by the same groups that own the studios and have a vested interest in the strike being over. So, uh, uh, bear that in mind. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the main show. We're going to talk about a uh, film, and then we're going to talk about a television show. Uh, we're going to yes. start with the film, because it is uh, technically already out. So, Simon, uh, why don't you take us through a, a brief introduction to the film that is No One Will Save You. So, uh, No One Will Save You is about a home, uh, if you've seen the trailer, basically it's a home invasion. But the um, it's a, a, not just a... a usual person home invasion but it's uh, an alien in a home basically and caitlin diva is the homeowner and the great thing about this movie is that it is i I think it's fair to say it's dialogue free there's a there's a couple of words at some point 
but it is mainly dialogue free. So there is a really interesting piece of physical theater and a really interesting piece of uh, visual storytelling. Um, and basically, the we don't know why, but she's got a lot of issues in the town she lives with. And this is slowly unfurled as we watch the movie. And then in amongst this is this horrible realization that um, things have arrived, and things are not friendly, and things are in her home. And I don't want to say much more than that, because the, if you watch the trailer, and I... I actually absolutely encourage you to watch the trailer because it's a very clever trailer in that it tells you uh, enough about the setup, but um, there's a lot that the trailer doesn't cover. And it's a really interesting approach to marketing of this movie because it's just enough that you need to know. Um, so the, it's really well shot. Obviously, it's quite a risk to take um, a story that naturally would have some words and make it uh, almost completely dialogue-free. Caitlin Deaver is a fantastic actor and she does a really great job of conveying the feelings of Bryn, her character, and the, the, uh, the, 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 the guilt that we learn she has about certain things that really color her um, actions and the way she controls those actions. And this movie was so near to being my movie of the year. And I can't... Without spoiling it, I can't really tell you why it's not, but it makes it, uh, it, it chooses uh, a resolution and cards on the table. I can't tell you if I actually understand it and not because it's weird in a, in a uh, 2001 kind of way, like it, it, in, in a story direction it goes in and I can't, as you said, I can't quite connect how it goes from A to B. And I kind of wish it hadn't done that because everything up to a very specific point in this film was really, really good. Like you've got a combination of whoever this director is. I'm sure you'll tell me he's some big guy, but he's got Brian Duffield, who I've not heard of, but he's really, really good at framing and, and uh, having things emerge from the back to the front and, um, editing it together and Kenton Deaver is really good. There's a couple of moments where she's maybe it feels a little unnatural. She's not saying anything and she perhaps overplays things a touch, but generally speaking, she's fantastic. It also made me realize that I talk to myself all the time. I'm, I'm by myself. I work from home by myself and it made me realize I talk to myself all the time because there's no way I will be going through this movie dialogue free. I would be screaming obscenities left, right and center. Um, it's, a really, really good uh, technical um, uh, example of how to make a film without dialogue. I just wish the ending, I wish the last 20 minutes had been completely different. And I can't really say much more than that. What's I would go so far as to say that I basically agree with everything you're saying. And I would go so far as to say it's not even the last 20 minutes, it's like the last five. Like there's oh, a... Okay. Like, it's really just the very, 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 very end for me, where there's, like, a bit of a, it's, and again, I can't, I can't speak about it without it in any kind of depth without it being a spoiler, but, like, there's a moment where it goes from A to B, and I'm like, how did you make that leap? Like, how did this film make that leap? And why did it make that leap? Like, why, like, why did, why is this happening now? Like, I get everything up to a certain point, and then like basically like the last scene happens and i was like what <laughs> like why yeah. how do you what um mm -hmm. and i don't think i liked it overall as much as i think you did um mm. but like i think it's a great film i think caitlin deaver is great i think i don't think you're wrong that she overplays sort of overacts a couple times but in a film without dialogue i'm not really sure that's inappropriate because uh, there's mm -hmm. some definitely some times where like she needs to get some shit across that like you just you kind of, she kind of needed to go there. Is all I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, it's really for me. It is literally just the very end. And the very end, honestly, is a super well shot. Just like the the last scene is a very well shot thing. And in and of itself, like if you, if you put it in isolation, you'd be like, wow, that's amazing. But I don't quite know how it gets from the end of the second last shot to the beginning of the last scene. Uh. I, I don't quite grok the logic there is all I'm trying to say. And uh, it's, uh, 
otherwise it's great though like it's definitely worth watching like and if you buy into the ending i'm very happy for you i don't like no i like i don't get it but that's fine um but the rest of the movie like the preceding 98 percent of the movie is incredible uh, it's an incredible performance. Good. There's some really great monster design. There's some amazing sound and lighting design uh, that really highlight the anxiety of the home invasion and the alien invasion in particular. Um, oh. The alien designs are familiar, but also different and interesting. Mm. Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing what like just the addition of an extra joint will do to... to what an making an arm behave a little bit differently can be so effectively creepy uh, in a way that you just don't expect. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and like the production design, the the town and she lives in um, feels very authentically like a small town. Right down to, she's obviously I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say she's a bit of a social pariah at the start of the film, mm-hmm. for reasons that are illuminated throughout. Um, but when she does encounter real people, um, the way that people behave around here, around her, as a person who grew up in a small town, is very authentic. <laughs> and uh, there's a couple of scenes where it feels like they might be going toward dialogue, and then they don't, and they are far more effective as a result, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been on the Caitlin Deaver's a great actress for a while, trained for a while now, so I'm just happy she's got this new amazing performance thriller out there so um yeah she's great i would say that you definitely have heard of brian duffield before this is not his directorial debut he made a movie in 2020 called spontaneous which i don't know if you've seen but you've definitely seen underwater which he wrote no i have that and you've definitely and i hope you've seen love and monsters which he also wrote uh although Um, i think love and monsters went through a rewrite with somebody else but Love and Monsters is also great. But yeah, Underwater, you know, he, he wrote Underwater. Do you know what's so interesting about that? Is that I love all but the last five minutes of Underwater, and I wish I could change the last five minutes of that movie. <laughs> How interesting. I just, I, this guy can't stick his landings. Yeah, I think oh. Underwater was maybe rewritten. Uh, like, I think it had a rewrite. Man, that movie was so close to being amazing. I wish they changed the last five minutes of that too. Well, it shows a lot in common with this film then in terms of how I feel about it. I would say that um, underwater and this have a lot of shared DNA in that I find underwater. I don't, I don't have strong feelings about the end of underwater, but I will say that it is incredibly rewatchable. Like I've watched it a couple of number of times and my wife watches it all the time. Like, Oh, good. Oh, I see. Like, like all the time. Um, It's I'm sure it's just underwater alien. But at the same time, like, that's great. Like, that's a great setup. <laughs> and yeah, really uh, and it, it's and like and Kristen Stewart is really good in it. Um, yeah. Jessica so, Henwick as well. Brilliant. And Jessica Henwick and uh, like every, everyone who's in it. Vincent Cassell is really great in it. Uh, everyone. <laughs> oh, well, except for, yeah. but even, even the guy we've canceled is exactly the guy he was when we canceled him. And, and until we canceled him, we thought he was great. So he's not, it's not a bad performance. It's just that he's been canceled. A little uncomfortable now, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's uh, a great uh, film. But yeah, you know it's a, and, and I imagine you know that I've... this will be incredible. Actually, and this one might even be helped by the lack of dialogue for being rewatchable because you could just put it on and not have to like, you can just watch. It's great. It does a really interesting thing. There's a lot of subversion of expectations in this movie. Because Mm -hmm. if I said alien home invasion, you would predict, okay, this, this, this is going to happen. And it does, but it happens in the first 25 minutes. And then you realize you've seen everything in the trailer. And like where you've had the home invasion and it's kind of been resolved. And you're like, well, where the hell is this movie going to go for the last hour? And it makes some... uh, I've got to commend it for making some story decisions even before we get to the bit that i wish you could change it, it slows down a little there's some great great action actually mm-hmm. um uh there's one particular like chasing that's excellent and the the aliens are really uh have some really weird behavior that you can't quite translate into human behavior which i think is really really effective mm-hmm. um there's but it does slow down it does does go a lot into sort of uh brin's 
guilt about a situation and and her how it affects her mentally as well and i think that's really interesting oh this is so close to being good great sorry this is so close to being great it's kind of frustrating yeah i mean i still really liked it i'm i imagine i'll be rewatching it it's on it's out now it's on disney plus here in canada it's on hulu in the states and i imagine that it will be incredibly rewatchable do you know do you know what will be nice? I know if you're listening, um, if you are another film reviewer and you use Disney W, which is their preview channel to watch stuff, it's going to be really nice to watch this visual masterpiece without my email address across the middle third of the screen. That would be, I really look forward to that because Disney, you could, you could ease up a little on the watermarking just a touch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's okay. What's really interesting is that compared to previous films we've watched from Disney, the watermark was actually less intrusive this time, but it's still, anyway. It's still bloody, though. It's still yeah. still over the top, so, I would say. So, how many stars are you going with uh, No One Will Save You, then? Uh, so, for me, it is a four. It is... Oh, interesting! It is actually, because it's so technically good, and because it's really just the last little bit that I didn't like. Um, interesting. I'm still going to give it a four. I... It's another one I think we talked about last week where I've had a really hard time deciding between it being a three and a four, mm-hmm. uh, where mm-hmm. that like that gulf has seemed ne- never seemed wider. Um, but ultimately, I think it's uh, it's it's just a four. It's like just yeah. like not only uh, a four, but like it is in into just into four range would be the way I put it. I was going to go three, but I'm absolutely convinced. And yes, it's a four from me too. And in the weird way, would you know what I mean? If this maybe this is just nostalgia speaking, but this is a 20th century production, which is of course 20th century Fox before they got subsumed by Disney, and it feels like a 20th century Fox movie. Would mm-hmm. you know what I mean by that? They they had a really good run, especially with Searchlight as well, of making sort of mid-budget interesting things, and this feels like a mid-budget interesting thing. And uh, I kind of miss the pre-Disney 20th Century Fox. But I mean, it does feel a bit homogenized, but that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. Yeah, four stars for me too. It's worth, I will watch this again. And maybe now I know where it's going. Because that last scene is beautifully done. It's just beautiful. I just, I just need that, that connection in my mind of how it gets there and what it's trying to say. Uh, because it's such yeah. a jump from what's happened up to that point. I would, so, I would love, I would love to talk to Mr. Duffield about his yes. intent with the last little yeah. bit, and I'm sure that somebody will. So, yeah. Uh, I have theories. Yeah, but I'm sure someone. Too. I'm sure someone will interview him and get the answers. So I look forward to mm-hmm. reading that when it happens. Cool. Um, so yeah, four and four, and definitely watch it. <clears throat> um, yes. But let's move on. Uh, let's move on to so. Uh, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I wouldn't know. Would you go to say? Would you go so far as to say that you're a big fan of Mike Flanagan, Simon? <laughs> um, I certainly haven't seen as much as you have, but I, Midnight Mass is one of the best things I've ever seen. I yeah. really like Hush. I think Hush again. It's a female-led home invasion, one of my favorite genres. <laughs> so I like Hush. Um, he's he's really really good at um, editing, and I think that's like the key to good horror is knowing how to edit and knowing how to frame and knowing how to edit to get the audience right, right at the right moment. It's almost like music. And um, I also, he, his writing is not naturalistic. It's monologue heavy, but it, it works really well. And he is a beautiful writer. He's just really lovely. And he writes uh, the kind of things there's the kind of monologues that I would just want to, uh, um, memorize for future auditions. And the, the Usher is no exception. There's one particular monologue. It's less monologue heavy, I would say, than previous things I've seen. But there's one in particular that is outstanding. So I, the, the writing is great. So I'll disagree because I just it's it's monologue different. But um, it's interesting you say he's a good editor because he before he was a director he was an editor. <laughs> um, oh, really? oh, there we yeah. are. But we are yeah. talking about uh, his latest for Netflix and his swan song for Netflix, actually, um, The Fall of the House of Usher. Maybe um, I should ask you the same question before you introduce this. Are you a Mike Flanagan and Edgar Allan Poe fan? By any chance? <laughs> I mean, as, <laughs> as discussed on last week's bonus show, uh, yes, Edgar Allan Poe is one of my all-time favorite poets in particular, um, but also, like, 
yeah, a wildly influential writer in both uh, American fiction and my life. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going like, to sit did, back and get comfy and just let you go now. Like, tell us did, about our show. Did you know that Edgar Allan Poe invented the, the, the detective story as we understand it today? I did not know that. Thank yeah, his, his, his story, The Murder in the Room Org, was the first one that was a basically I a detective... A detective story that that came before Sherlock Holmes, before Agatha Christie, before all of no. them, features no, a roguish outsider investigating a crime. Uh, yeah, he he basically invented the detective fiction genre. <laughs> True story. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're talking about uh, oh, wow. the fall of the House of Usher, which is Mike Flanagan adapting the works of Edgar Allan Poe, um, uh, a pitch that was never more made for me than anything. Like, uh, I, I don't know how you could pitch something uh, that would be less for me. Um, uh, and it's difficult to speak about. So this show, unlike the, the movie we just talked about, which is available now, uh, The Fall of the House of Usher, it does not debut on Netflix until the 12th of October. So that is going to be like two weeks from now. Um, so it's difficult. There's things we can't really talk about. Um, but uh, basically, the this is an adaptation of the works of Poe. So there are a lot of if you're a fan of the writing of Edgar Allan Poe there's going to be a a lot of elements that you're going to like um and a lot that you'll recognize like even the the framing story of this eight episode series is effectively um taken from the fall of the house of usher with uh you know a man comes to a house and Roderick Usher tells him a story uh and then Roderick Usher has a sister um this is all out there but it's all adapted into something new it's all all of this is remixed into something new each episode takes its name from the title of a poe poem or story um and then uses elements from those stories in interesting ways and if it sounds like i'm dancing around stuff it's because i am because again we have limits on what we're allowed to talk about when it comes to this show but um, it's really good. Shocker! I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, I'm desperately not to spoil anything. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, so we are we again. We're under pretty heavy embargo with the things we are and are and are not allowed to say. However, um, it's really good. It's re it's really interesting. It takes a lot. It's not just a straight adaptation. It is definitely a remix, and it's not a remix of any one story. It's basically like he's adapting Edgar Allan Poe not any one story from Edgar Allan Poe. There's mm -hmm. elements from multiple stories that are mixed in. Um, stories, real-life events. There's a character who's named after uh, one of Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's like mentor figures in his life. There's, um, again, there's elements from multiple... Each episode does take its name from a specific story, but there's elements of multiple stories and multiple things in each one of those uh, episodes. And... Simon is correct in that it the film the series is not as monologue heavy at least in terms of original writing uh, as some of his other work. However, <laughs> that is because sometimes the monologues are just Edgar Allan Poe poems, which is fucking incredible <laughs> when you have people like Bruce Greenwood and uh, Carla Gugino reading them. Um, I I don't think it's a stretch for anyone to to realize that I really liked this show. I've actually already written a review, which you can go read on thatshelf.com. It's good. Um, in which I wrote 1,200 plus words and feel like I barely scratched the surface of anything about it. Um, I would also say, that, like, if you are familiar with the works of Mike Flanagan, you'll know that he has this like cohort of performers that seem seemingly will drop anything to be like, Oh, you want to do a show together? Yes. To go do a show together. Like everyone wants to come work with him. And this, this show is basically like an all-star game of everyone he's worked with while he's been at Netflix. So, um, I mean, who, who it'd be easier to list the new, the new people in it. Like, Mary McDonnell is in this. Uh, McDonald? McDonald? McDonald. Um, 
uh, is in this. It's the first time she's worked with uh, with Flanagan. So same with Willa Fitzgerald, and same with Mark Hamill <laughs> is in this, and he's great. And it's the first time he's worked with uh, Mike Flanagan. But literally every other named character, of which there are one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's like a dozen are all people who has worked with them before. So Carla Gugino is here. Bruce Greenwood is here. Carl Lumley is here. Samantha Sloyan is here. Tanai Miller, Rahul Kohli, Kate Siegel, um, Katie Parker, Michael Trucco, Henry Thomas, like uh, uh, Kaylee Curran is here. Like all of these people are people who have worked with them on at least one or two things at least uh, before. And I think it really, I think it really informs as to what kind of a person he must be, Mike Flanagan must be, and what kind of set he creates. But also just that, like, he's so good at getting great performances out of all these people. And I know we don't 100% agree on who's great in this and who's not, but there's, 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 there's a, there's enough great people in it that the one that we don't necessarily agree on doesn't matter. So I don't even want to mention it basically. Yeah. That wouldn't no. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, a, yeah it's a very small point. Yeah. Um, and then there's just like, he's so good at creating the, the tone, right? Like he, if you watch his work, he's got a very distinct visual tone. He's got a very distinct tone in his writing that remains very consistent uh, throughout and he's him and he actually only directed he wrote this whole series but he actually only directed half of the episodes uh mm. the other half being taken up by his longtime collaborator uh michael film filmogari 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 i don't know how to pronounce his name i'm sorry filmogari mm-hmm. um but they've been working together for so long that the the whole thing feels very consistent Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all the performances are consistent everything about it is consistent they clearly are mm-hmm. have a very close working relationship mm-hmm. and um i thought it was great i thought it was great i thought it was definitely one to add to your watch list and uh i i mean mike flanagan has since signed a deal where his new stuff will be going he's signed a first look deal with amazon prime so he'll be moving to amazon prime which I think is a pretty big loss for Netflix, given the mm. Midnight Mass and Haunting of Hill House of it all. Um, but uh, this is if this is going to be the last thing he's going to make for Netflix, like what a thing to make, mm. right? Like what a big. I'm, I'm glad that they have let him make such a big, ambitious swing as his last thing, and I'm glad that it works. And I know that you don't 100% agree that it works, but overall, I would say oh. that it works very, very well. So I, I don't, I don't say. It. I wouldn't say that my opinion is it doesn't work. I don't think I liked it as much as you, um, but it's I'm kind of conflicted because you're, everything you've said is correct. Everything. he's Mike Flanagan is a brilliant writer, a brilliant filmmaker, and a brilliant director. And, and, and he's, doing, he's clearly doing something here that he's been thinking about for a long time because the integration of Poe's stuff with the way that he takes the elements and adds it to the story and it doesn't feel disjointed at all it just feels like it naturally all fits together speaks to an incredible in-depth understanding of the story he's trying to tell and pose themes how they can fit in as well so i i think it could have been shorter i think six instead of eight episodes maybe don't ask me what i would cut out but i just i i feel like it could have been slimmed down a little bit um uh there's two episodes in of the eight that are amongst the best tv episodes i've ever seen and in fact one of the episodes that centers around um samantha sloyan is probably one of the best episodes of tv i've ever seen and there's so there's certain creative choices taken in that episode that are breathtaking just incredible the way the story is told and and uh, not just through the the acting i mean she's just one of the best actors around at the moment she's just phenomenal and the the um the visuals as well but there's a there's a certain decision made with editing that is so simple and so amazingly perfect i'm amazed i haven't seen it done that way before um and it's just fantastic and and uh there i think many of 
his group and it feels like a rep theater group by this point which is lovely too many of the actors of that group this is their best work i've never seen kate seagull be better than in this i think she is absolutely on fire she has Mm -hmm. a brilliant script she is just owning she owns every scene and um uh it's it's i don't know i'm not sure if it's brave is the right word but having your wife as one of your main collaborators and directing your wife or writing for your wife is a tricky thing to do i think and she she is just incredible incredible in this i think um excuse my pronunciation but rahul Kohli, Kohli, uh british guy i think this is best he's ever been and he was great in midnight mass but he is so good in this at being this cocky british dude who is who slowly sort of unpeels I mean that's a common yeah. theme for each of these each of these kids, each of these episodes, is that they start from a terrible place and then terrible things happen to them and they unravel. And uh, and it's interesting to see how that happens. Uh also I've never seen Willa Fitzgerald in anything, but I thought she was phenomenal. And I yeah. would love to know the, the work that she and Mary McDonald did to ensure that their delivery uh, their delivery, their their style of speaking is so precisely similar. It's uncanny, and I would love to see the work they did behind that. A standout for me was a young actor that I've not seen before called uh, Kylie Curran, that you've seen in Doctor Sleep, but I haven't seen Doctor Sleep. Seventeen-year-old, phenomenal performance, and and Bruce just, Greenwood, like I, this is just a perfect moment for me to say, just go fucking watch Doctor Sleep already. It's <laughs> I tried so to watch half of it. <laughs> it's so good. I, I, yeah, but I mean, I could just keep listing cast members. Mark Hamill, like. People still joke about him being Luke Skywalker. He is an incredible actor in this. Bruce Greenwood was a late replacement, and it feels like he was the part was written for him. And mm-hmm. I could just keep going on and on and on. Um, there's there's a few of the performances that I do not find convincing. I don't need to to name them, but it's vastly uh, outbalanced by the incredible performances in this. Um, so, but as a as a whole, I liked it a lot. It didn't land the same level as Midnight Mass did. Um, the, there's one particular lemon monologue that I want Bruce Greenwood to read to me every single day of my life, um, and uh, it's it's masterly put together. Uh, I think it could have been a little bit shorter. Um, some of it I found a bit cheesy. I have to say, um, some of the horror elements didn't quite work as well as others. So, uh, but I mean, it's still a master at horror doing the thing he loves with the people who are like career best acting. It's hard yeah. not to recommend this, really. I mean, yeah. I would say that like the the performances that aren't maybe quite as good uh, aren't bad for me. I would say that just that like when you put someone who's doing good work next to someone who's absolutely on fire... It kind of stands out to me, Um, because I think the there's you're right that like there's definitely people who are like more on fire than others in here, but everyone is so into the material, committed to the material, and clearly love working together, which is uh, another thing. Like they're all they all seem to have such trust between one another, Mm -hmm. Um, and that really comes through in the work. And I I would say that it's a little more uneven than something like midnight mass just and that's sort of by not design but like sort of just by the nature of the way the material is being adapted um midnight mass i would still say is his best tv work um but it's a very singular type of story right whereas this is an adaptation of several stories and multiple elements from many stories and so it's just never going to come together in exactly at exactly the same level of consistency mm. um and i think for better or for worse maybe that's a good thing you know maybe that's something that will allow us to keep talking about it in the future i'm super curious once this show goes live i'll be super curious to see like what everyone's favorite episode is um, and we we are not allowed to say that right now, just for the record, so we won't. Um, or at least we're not allowed to talk about the details, but the one that Simon mentioned yeah. with Samantha. Samantha Sloyan is... I don't know why she's not a huge star, basically. She's so good. Yeah. If you remember her performances in, in Midnight Mass in particular, but even her smaller supporting role in Hill House, where she has 
one of the best monologues in the entire show because she just like mm. chews like she makes it a four course meal out of the scenery in that one scene mm. without moving she's basically just sitting in a chair the whole time and it's an incredible yeah, thing to watch she's, she's um got so much going on it's incredible and she's just so good at like she has this ability to even though even if she's not talking to you it's like she's looking through the camera directly into you and like ripping apart your soul <laughs> it's uh, it's she's, she, she's so good at it it's the each each of the episodes as i mentioned earlier has this unraveling aspect they start somewhere and then they they disintegrate and i think most of the children conveyed that beautifully and and she's at the top like the top of that pyramid for me uh the the performances that didn't land for me are the ones that didn't um didn't handle the unraveling aspect and i know we disagree about one key one key actor that i i don't think the performance was robust enough i think the the the, uh the script was there i don't think the performance was but she's she in uh, just her episode is like if you've got any interest in acting whatsoever then make sure you watch at least i mean you should watch the whole thing because mm-hmm. you've got an incredible ensemble performance here but watch uh kate seagull and rahul cooley and especially samantha sloyan just how they handle that shift it's just mind-blowing she's yeah. incredible and, and then like um i would say of the of those episodes mine is favorite is probably kate seagull's um ah oh, so good oh my god but i mean for me the bigger the bigger and we can't it's difficult to talk about because we're legitimately not allowed to talk about the nature of her character but carla gugino is on fire in every single episode of the show in what might be it's a quite a varied performance um so but like, in but all that variation as well. But, but every aspect of it is so confident. She's she's on fire the whole time. She's in complete control the whole time, and her interaction with every character is a delight to behold. And uh, in particular with Bruce Greenwood, she has such such a chemistry with Bruce Greenwood in particular. And I don't know if that was developed because they're friends or because they worked together previously on Gerald's game, but like they are, every scene they share is such a delight to watch. And occasionally, occasionally, you get to hear one of those two recite an Edgar Allan Poe poem, and it is the best version of that you've heard, with the exception of when the Raven finally happens, because you know it's going to happen, it is excellent. And it is maybe the only one that isn't the best one I've ever heard because the Simpsons did the Raven 30 years ago. <laughs> um, and they had, and, and more to the point, they had Jeremy Earl Jones to do it. So that's a hard <laughs> ask. But when yeah. the Raven happens this time, it is also excellent. Um, but in particular, um, for Annie is excellent. Annabelle Lee is excellent. Um, like every, every recitation of a poem in this is excellent and mm-hmm. thematically appropriate and emotionally devastating when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the whole, the frame of the whole thing, which is just Bruce Greenwood and Carl Lumley sitting in a ruined house lit by firelight, discussing the many terrible acts of Roderick Usher with Carl Lumley being like an investigator uh, slash prosecutor um, who's been after him his entire career. Um, those scenes are excellent. Like if you if you wanted to learn about acting, like sure, you should definitely watch Samantha Sloyan's episode, but you should actually just fast forward to the scenes where Bruce Greenwood and Carl Lumbly are sitting across from one another and creating something you cannot turn away from whilst sitting still in chairs. I mean I, I said this to you, like I texted yeah, it really became apparent that Bruce Bruce Greenwood <laughs> Bruce Greenwood Bruce yeah. Greenwood is the narrative linchpin of this whole thing and oh, yeah. it is such a risk to have the wrong actor in that position will ruin the whole thing as they almost did by all accounts I can't believe he was a late stand-in halfway through production because like I said it's like it's he owned it he it was made for him and he is uh, he's so good, but also your your other guy. Sorry, I don't remember his name. Your uh, Augie, whoever played Augie, Carl, Carl Lumley. Uh, have I seen him and stuff before? He seems famous. He's been, he's uh, a long-standing character actor. He's also in Doctor Sleep, which is where he's worked with Flanagan before. 
He's right. also he's been in like a legitimate ton of stuff though. Lots of TV, um, right. uh, lots of lots of movies. He was in Captain America and the Winter or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, and he will be in Captain America: Brave New World. Right. He right. showed up in Battlestar Galactica. Um, He's been around for a long time. Is all I'm trying oh, to say. Th- three, three Galactica alumni in this in this show. Then, um, yep. so he he does a really interesting thing in that when you've got someone as the narrative lead and someone talking to them, the person talking to them has to balance that they don't soak up all the air between them. Like you got to keep the focus on the other guy when you're asking your questions while still being great. And he was fantastic at that. Like it was. Yeah. He, he was. Uh, he it's easy to try and push your performance to an equal level as the, as the narrative lead. And, and uh, it was just a, a great balance. And I, and poor Mike Flanagan to be halfway through production and to lose his narrative lead and have to recast it and all the questions that come with it. And I'm so happy he ended up with what I think is the perfect duo to carry this story over eight hours of TV. You couldn't have asked for anything more. I thought they were phenomenal. Yeah, and I kind of wonder because the the original actor was going to be um, oh, wow, his name is gone. Frank Langella. Frank Langella, who is a great actor, to be fair. Um, but he was fired for being uh, sexually inappropriate with the female cast members. So um, I will say that one of the other things is that uh, Frank Langella, Frank Langella is also just a towering presence in a way that Bruce Greenwood is uh, sounds like a dig, but it's not, he's much more of a character performer. And I feel like having them be like, just like on a more equal level to one another also helps the narrative. Like, I feel like Frank Langella might've been a little overpowering to the story. Like it might've been, might've been the Frank Langella show rather than this show. And I think that this show is better than that would have been. I mean, we'll, we'll never see it, but they shot half of it. In with him in it, so that his scenes are out there somewhere. I would love to see his scenes to compare them to Bruce Greenwood. We'll never ever see it, but I would be so interested to see the difference. Yeah, and it turns out that even an eighty-four-year-old can be sexually yeah predator. It's, it's, it's not terrible. hard. Can we? Can can these like men go on sets and not be assholes? Can can that just stop happening? It's not difficult to just respect people professionally. <laughs> like, I mean, apparently, apparently, it is. Don't be sexually inappropriate to people in work. I think that's yeah. pretty straightforward. <laughs> Can we yeah. just stop doing that? So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty pretty easy to recommend the series. I, I'm, I mean, I, I I'm sad. I want to say that I'm sad to see him leave Netflix. I think Netflix has been a very good home for him for Flanagan over these past several years. Uh, hopefully, Amazon gives him the same leeway and the same budget levels. Uh, but uh, if this is going to be the last thing he makes for Netflix, that's I mean, what a what a thing to uh, make. I think a big factor actually was that Netflix don't release any um, physical copies of their own productions, and he was desperate to get um, Haunted House out in four K, and they refused. And I think that was a pretty big. Uh, well, they, I know they put together Prime. They also uh, so you can buy you can buy a Blu Ray of. Uh, House of the uh, Hill House and a Bly Manor, um, but you, they're not out on 4K as far as I know. Um, but he re- he would very much like I know for a fact he wants a physical release of Midnight Mass and they just won't do it. Um, and I th- and whereas like Amazon like you can, you can buy their stuff if you want. So yeah, I would not be surprised if that was a, a big yeah. part of it. Because I would buy Midnight Mass on 4K in a heartbeat just to support oh. just to support it. God. It's like so good instantly. God, that's yeah. It's and uh, and like we, my wife and I actually rewatched Hill House. We watched, we mainlined Fall of the House of Usher in two days, and then, um, after that, we were like, should we watch Hill House for the fourth time? Yeah, let's watch Hill House for the fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god! Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you get, how do you fit it in between your fifty seventh Office rewatch as well? I mean, we just put the office on hold for a couple of days. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. I mean, so what? How many stars are you going with here then? So I'm going to say that um, after my first rewatch, 
it has been a four out of five for me. Uh, there's every chance it'll go up when I watch it through a second time. Or maybe not. I don't know yet. It's a little more uneven than something like Midnight Mass. And I would say that... But I would say that this is maybe on par with... Um, maybe on par with Hill House. Uh, and Hill House is also a 5 out of 5 for me, to be fair. Uh, but it's definitely above like the Bly Manners of the world. <laughs> um, it's kind of hard, because like everything he's made, I at least like. Right, like there's no. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has anything bad in his oeuvre, and I, and I have, I have not seen the Midnight Club. Um, I don't know why I really, really should, but I got to watch Oculus as well. I really want to get on that. Yeah, Oculus is really good. Oculus is really well put together. You know what he's the master of? Going back to the thing you talked about, where he being a really good editor. You know, he's also just the master of. He's the master of putting something that is not obvious into a frame and then making it obvious in the best way possible. Whether that means something in the foreground you're not paying attention to that then becomes important or something in the background that you're not meant to, to not meant to see, but then moves in a way that is going to be like in the first episode, if there's a great example of that in fall of the house of usher, where there's you're looking past Carl Lumbly and you can see there's some texture in the background. And then, uh, Bruce Greenwood says, oh, they're this, like they're right behind you. And then like something in the background moves and you're like, oh shit, that per that has been there the whole yeah. time. Yeah. He is the best at that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I think this is probably in terms of his TV shows, this is probably like my number three thing of his uh, and it's mm -hmm. four, four stars. Uh, but again, I think that this will probably go up once I've had a chance to rewatch it, would be my my guess. Um, mm -hmm. It's also, as opposed to like, it definitely has that sort of emotionality that things like Hill House, which makes me weep, and Midnight Mass, which makes me weep, um, and Doctor Sleep, which makes me weep at times. Um, this has that emotionality, but it's much angrier. And I find that very, very interesting. It's very angry at the state of the world. It really and, is. and yeah. I find I find that super interesting, yeah, and yeah, totally. uh, and like I say, I'm I I'm pretty confident that when I've had a chance to watch it a second time and pick up on all the things I've missed the first time through, I think it'll probably go up to a five, personally. Um, yeah, I think I'm probably a f I was thinking about this a lot. I think when I finished, I was on three stars. And listening to us in our conversation today, and uh, that there is so much there that is spectacular. I think this is a four star for me. I don't think it's going to go up any more than that when I rewatch it. But um, the things that didn't quite land for me in this are massively outweighed by the spectacular pieces of acting and TV and writing that are present. I I'm, I don't tend to watch long shows as well it's not the kind of thing i enjoy consuming so maybe that's why i felt it, it could have been shorter i think there's some some fat that could have been trimmed a little bit but um on the whole it is really really good and uh, is it four stars for me i mean i would say that the, uh a more concise way to say what you're saying is that not everything works but the stuff that works works like <laughs> fucking gangbusters like <laughs> like the stuff that's great absolutely rips so so, oh yeah, shit! What the fuck? Full stars. Yeah. If just for Kate Seagull's blonde wig, which you know, no, I'm not gonna say that on air. <laughs> yeah. But um, she, she like the spectacular elements are worth four stars in themselves, and the things that didn't work aren't really enough to drag it down. So yeah, four stars. Yeah. Cool. 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 Well. The Fall of the House of Usher is going to be on net released on Netflix. Uh, it's actually um was the first two episodes were previewed at fantastic fest this uh the weekend we're recording this um so uh those lucky people got to see the first two episodes in a cinema which i would love to have been there for um yeah uh, uh we have the advantage i guess that we've seen the whole thing uh versus just the first two but uh, mm -hmm. either way it's going to be released on netflix on october the 12th and i think would be perfect halloween viewing so mark your calendars yeah. is what i'm trying to say 
Um, and in the meantime, I will probably watch it again. So <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. You know, I don't have uh, I don't have children, and I work at home, so it's uh, <laughs> it's, vital. A, it's a whole it's a whole thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. So one more time, that is, uh, no one will save you. Four stars and four stars, and uh, follow the house of, house of Usher. Four stars and four stars. Turns out we like horror stuff, which is excellent. Um, if you have liked the show, if you've liked listening, then uh, we would like to invite you to help us out by either subscribing to our Patreon to help us keep the lights on for as little as $2 Canadian a month, uh, which also comes with bonus episodes ranging from like 15 to 30 minutes each, where we talk about things uh, a little more freeform. Uh, you could also... Uh, Click through to the homepage for this episode on our website and use the links. Uh, there's links there powered by Just Watch, which will take you to where you can stream these titles. And if you use those links, uh, we will get like a penny. So uh, we will appreciate that. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and last but not least, you could also uh, just like us on your podcasting platform of choice. Give us a five-star review. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, make sure it's downloading. Those are the things that help get us in front of more earballs every month. Um, uh, there's too many socials to list. Uh, so now we'll be linking to the, sh in the show notes, we'll just link to our relative home, our, our respective home pages. Simon's is temporarypen.com. Mine is stretched.ca. You can find all of our recent work and our socials and all of that stuff at both of those places. Um, we also record this here in Vancouver on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. Um, <clears throat> and thank you so much for listening to the show and for and one last time for joining us on this awesome Friday. Thanks, bye.